Gemara Erubin has been sponsored by Mr. Isaac Jamal and his wife Celia for their success, for their children's success, health, happiness, beracha, parnasav, atzlaha, bechol Daf Yud Gimal. Today's daf has been dedicated by the Asa family in memory of Hacham Baruch, Rafael ben Miriam. Today's daf has been dedicated to Elu Nishmat Avraham ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Begane'edin. Amen. <coughs> we are beginning on daf yud bet amud bet on the bottom line. And we start with a quote from our Mishnah. Mishum Rabbi Yishmael Amar Talmid Ehad. In the name of Rabbi Yishmael, one student said, <coughs> what did he say? We go back to refer to our Mishnah. <coughs> that when it comes to the Mahlokah of Bet and Bet he says, Lo Nechliku Bet Shemay Bet Al Mavui Shupachot Marba. That on a Mavui, that is less than four Amot, there is no Mahlokah. At all, everybody agrees on a lehi, on a mavui that is less than four amot wide. It is enough to put a lehi or a korah. So, what was the argument on a mavui that is more than four amot? So, comes the Gemara then said, Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva said, No. The argument was. Whether on a mavui less than four amot, or even a mavui more than four amot, you have the machloket betchamay betelel. That betchamay says you need a lehi and a kora, and betelel says you need a lehi or a kora. Comes the Gemara and says, Rabbi Akiva, Hainu Tanakama. Rabbi Akiva that says that the argument is in both is the same opinion as Tanakama of Al Mishnah. Because if you remember, before the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael, we had Tanakama. Tanakama's opinion just was blanket. On a Mavui, we have a Mahlokit between Betchamai and Betelel. And from the fact that the Tanakama did not make a difference between more than four Amot or less than four Amot, it seems that the Mahlokit is in both and it does not make a difference. That means that Tanakama and Rabbi Akiva basically are saying the same thing. <clears throat> so comes the Gemara and says, what do you need both opinions for? So the Gemara says, Ika binayu. There is a difference between them. Telav ahli v'etima there is a practical difference between the opinions, and that is, <coughs> do they hold of Rav Ahle Betiva Rav Yechiel? If you remember, we learned on the previous daf, Rav Ahle's opinion was that <coughs> a mavui that is less than four tefahim wide, its entrance does not need an adjustment at all. So that is going to be subject to a mahlokit between Tanakama and Rabbi Akiva. <clears throat> One of the rabbis is going to hold that less than four amot, yes indeed, <clears throat> we have a mahlokit between Bet Shammai and Bet but once you get to <clears throat> four, less than four tefahim, then everybody says you don't need anything. And another rabbi is going to say no, from less than four amot all the way down, even to less than four tefahim, still you're going to have a mahlokit Bet Shammai and Bet So Tanakama and Rabbi Akiva are arguing in the opinion of Rav Ahli, does a Mavui need an adjustment less than four tefahim? Who holds what? The Gemara says, Velo We do not know who holds what in the Mishnah. It's just that that will be the halachic difference between the two opinions. So one opinion will say, the Mahlokit is above four amot and below four amot and even below four tefahim against Rav Ahli. The other opinion will say, Mahlokit above four amot, less than four amot, but once you get to less than four tefahim, you need nothing like Rav Ahli. Who said what? Lo Mesayme, we don't know. Tanya, we have a Braita. Amar Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva came along and said, Lo Amar Rabbi Yishmael Davar Zeh. He says that Rabbi Yishmael never said this. Meaning, the student quoted Rabbi Yishmael as saying that the mahlokit between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel was talking about a mavui that is <coughs> uh, more than uh, four amot. 
But less than four amot, you only need a lehi. Rabbi Akiva comes along and says, Rabbi Ishmael never said such a thing. Ela ototalmid amar davarze. That student quoted Rabbi Ishmael like that, but it's not Rabbi Ishmael. The halacha ke ototalmid. But you know what? The halacha does follow that student. So right away the Gemara comes along and says, Hagufa Kasha. You have a contradiction in that statement of Rabbi Akiva. Amar, you said, Lo Amar Rabbi Ishmael Dabarze. First you come along and say, Rabbi Ishmael never said such a thing. Alma letil cheta kevateh. That's much. But if he never said it, that means Allaha is not going to follow him. And as she explains why Rabbi Akiva said that Rabbi Ishmael would never say such a thing, that she writes, Muhzak Anibo Shuhakam. Oh, he says, I know that He would never say such a thing that there's a difference between if it's more than four amot or less than four amot. It seems that the Biakiva had a tradition that there was no difference. And therefore he said, if I have the tradition, the Bishmael also was a hakam, he also got the same tradition, so it's impossible that he ever said such a thing. So if that's the case... Then he says, Then you come along and you take the halakha like that student that said that the mahlukah is only when it is uh, for amot or more. <laughs> After you just told me that the Bishmael never made such a statement, then you tell me the halakha follows the student that quoted the Bishmael. How could that be? So the Gemara says, Amar of Yudah, Amar Shmuel, Lo, Amar Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva only said, when he said halakha, only to sharpen the students. Which means, he was saying, really of course it's obvious, we're going to go like Rabbi Ishmael, meaning the way Rabbi Akiva understood it. Meaning that there's no difference between more than four amot or less than four amot. You have a mahluk in bet when he said he was just trying to motivate the students that she says, because <clears throat> just like that student was innovative and he used his uh, mind in order to make hilukim more than fuamot, less than fuamot. So the Akiva was saying, you know something, halakha follows that student, meaning you should use your minds uh, analytically in order to try to go deep and make different hilukim in the so he was praising the student in order to motivate his students in order to learn <coughs> on a deep level. Now she says, Lo amra Rabbi Akiva, we quote that as she, Lehai halakha kyoto talmid, he only said halakha like that talmid, Ela lehaded et talmidim, to sharpen them, Shiyasimu libam la Torah, they should place their efforts in learning in Torah, the yomru pilpul milibam, and they'll say pilpulim, deep analytical hilukim and logic from their heart, defichach shibbeho bifneim, therefore he praised the student, so again he didn't praise the student, meaning that halakha is like him, even though he said that, but it was obvious he knew that they weren't going to take him literally because he just said a second ago that Abi Ishmael never said what that student said. So therefore when he said, it was for a different purpose. Let's just sharpen them to praise the student's ability to say Hilukim. More than four more, less than four more, that means the student was using his mind. So he praised the student to give the, uh, his own students, Abi Akiva, a motivation. That Abdi Ahmad Bar Yitzhak Amar Nirin Itmar. Abdi Ahmad Bar Yitzhak says that Abi Akiva did not say the halakha is like uh, the student, but he said Nirin Itmar, which is less than halakha. Nirin means it seems like the students. Ama, but again, it was for the same purpose to praise the students so the his students will be motivated to learn. Any time you see in Shas that the student quoting Rabbi Ishmael in front of Rabbi Akiva, like you found in our Mishnah, that it was a Talmid that quoted Rabbi Ishmael in front of Rabbi Akiva, who is that student? Eno Ela Rabbi Meir. It is indeed Rabbi Meir. Shishimesh et Rabbi Ishmael vet Rabbi Akiva. Because he served both Rabbi uh, Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva. I mean, Rabbi Meir was a student of both rabbis. Therefore, many times he would quote to Rabbi Akiva what he heard in the name of Rabbi Ishmael. Detanya, as we have a Braita, 
Amar Bimir Bimir says, Kishaiti Ishmael. Now we're proving that the Bimir used to learn under the Bishmael and the Biakiva. So one time it says the Bimir when he was studying under the Bishmael, it says, Haiti Matil Kankantum Letokadiyo. Rabbi Meir was a scribe, he was a sofer, and he had a custom to put a certain ingredient in the ink. That ingredient was called kankantum. What the kankantum does, it makes the ink indelible, meaning unerasable. And therefore, that was his custom to put the kankantum. Velo amar li davar. And he says, I did it in front of Rabbi Ishmael, and he never told me anything about it, which means he was okay with it. Yeshebati <clears throat> Rabbi Akiva. However, when I came to study under Rabbi Akiva, Asra Alai, he forbade me to put Kankantum in the Dio. The Gemara will explain later on why that is so. <clears throat> Gemara says, Ini, we have a contradiction. The Gemara is now going to bring a double contradiction. We have a statement from Rabbi Yudamar Shemuel in the name of Rabbi Meir. That said, Kishaiti Lomed Etzel Rabbi Akiva. When I studied by Rabbi Akiva, Hayiti Matil Kankantum Letochadio. I was putting Kankantum in the ink. Velo Amar Lidavar. And he did not tell me anything. Ushebati Etzel Rabbi Ishmael. And then when I came to Rabbi Ishmael, Amar Li Beni. Rabbi Ishmael told me, My son, Ma what is your job? Amarti lo lablar ani. I told him I am a scribe. Amarli, so he said, Bini, my son, be very careful in your work. Because your work is the service of God. After all, he's writing Sifre Torah. If Hazbe Shalom, you will be uh, missing or delete one letter from the Torah. Or you will add one extra letter to the Torah. You will come to destroy the entire world. As she explains, how can one extra letter being deleted from the Torah cause destruction? So there's a pasuk in the Torah, That God is the God of truth. If Chaz Shalom, the Aleph of Emet is missing, then the word spells Met. And that Chaz Shalom implies Vashem Elohim, Emet without an Aleph. That's the total destruction. Or adding an extra letter to the Torah. The Pasuk says many times, Vaydaber Hashem. <clears throat> if you would just add an extra Vav to the word Vaydaber, it would say Vaydaberu. And Chaz Shalom, that would imply that there's more than one God, so the Bishmael warned them, be very careful, because by adding or subtracting even one letter <coughs> from the Torah, you can come to destroy the world. Amartilo, so the Bimir tells him back, Davar Echad Yeshli, I have one item, a special item, Bekankantum Shemo, and its name is Kankantum, Shani Matil Letoch that I place in the ink. Now the Gemara is going to explain in a moment what the give and take was. Meaning he's telling him that be careful that you don't add extra letters or delete letters. And he's telling him, no, don't worry about it. I put Kankantum in the Dio. The Gemara will explain that dialogue. But the story continues. Amarli. So Rabbi Ishmael then told me, Vichi matilin kankantum letochadio. Are you allowed to place kankantum in the ink? Vehalo amra Torah. Doesn't the Torah tell us in the perasha of Sota? Sota is the case where the lady is suspected by her husband for infidelity. And therefore she has to go to the Beit HaMikdash and they erase the perasha of the Sota into the waters, the Mehammarim. And she has to drink the waters. And the Pasuk says, Vechatav, it says, Vechatav umaha. You have to write the Perashah of the Sota, and then you have to erase it. So the rabbis learn from the juxtaposition of the words, Vechatav umaha, Ktav shiachol limhot. It has to be a type of writing that is erasable. Now if you're going to put the Kankantum in the Dior, that ink is indelible. It's <clears throat> not possible to erase. So he told him, you're not allowed to write a Sefer Torah with ink of Kankantum, because it needs to be erasable for the Perashah of <coughs> Sotah. 
In any event, now the Gemara goes back to understand the dialogue between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Ishmael. What did Rabbi Ishmael tell Rabbi Meir? And what did he answer? So the Gemara says, This is what he told him. He says, you don't have to worry to be Ishmael about me missing a letter or adding a letter that I'm not going to put in or I might put in because I am a Baki. I am an expert and I know all the letters exactly what's supposed to be placed in the Torah. He says, but I'm even concerned about a fly. That what? Maybe a fly will come on the ink of the sefer. And the fly will sit on the leg of the dalit. And he'll erase the leg of the dalit. And he'll turn the dalit into a resh. And that's going to change the whole context of the pasuk. So therefore, you know what I do to alleviate that? So I put special kankantum into the ink. In order that it becomes indelible. So therefore, I'm concerned not only about chaserot that you don't have to worry, but I'm even concerned more about another problem of the zvuv that can go and erase the letter and therefore make a dalit adesh. By that I take care of it by putting the kankantum in the dio. In any event, that is the episode. Now the Gemara poses two questions. Kasha shimush ashimush, kasha asra asra. The two questions are as follows. In the first story, we learn that Rabbi Meir first studied by Rabbi Akiva and then went to Rabbi Ishmael. In the second story, it is the opposite. First he went to uh, Rabbi Ishmael and then went to Rabbi Akiva. So it's a question in the order that he learned. Who did he study by first? Let's read that in Nashi. Above, I say again, above we learned that first he studied by Rabbi Ishmael. In the second version it says he started off studying with Rabbi Akiva. So we have a question in the history of Rabbi Meir's Limud. Who indeed did he start his studying with? Was it with Rabbi Ishmael or was it with Rabbi Akiva? And then we have another kasha. Who was the rabbi that was Osir? The Kankantum, because in the first story it was Rabbi Akiva that said he cannot use Kankantum in the Dio, and in the second story it was Rabbi Ishmael that told him he cannot use the Kankantum in the Dio. So who was the rabbi that told him not to use the Kankantum? So it comes the Gemara and says, Bishlama Shimush Ashimush Lakasha. We don't have a question in who Rabbi Meir learned by first. First, Rabbi Meir studied by Rabbi Akiva. But he wasn't able to understand the depth of Rabbi Akiva. He wasn't able to uh, come out with conclusive halakha from Rabbi Akiva. So what did he do? So he went and then went to Rabbi Ishmael in order to get all the traditions, meaning all the Mishnayot clear. And then he went back to Rabbi Akiva to get the Sevarot, the logic, and the uh, different analytical teachings of Rabbi Akiva. So that she tells us that <coughs> he went to Rabbi uh, Akiva uh, first, and that she says, Shaya Harif le Palpelu Dagdek, Bemashilamad la Shifti Shuvot, Umishnayot Zuazul Taretz. Meaning, Rabbi Akiva was able to justify both sides of an argument. And he was able to prove both the side of Tahor, and both the side of Tameh, both the side of Mutar, both the side of Asur. So it was very difficult in the beginning of Rabbi Meir's career to really understand which side is the right side. Because Rabbi Akiva was able to make sense with his sevara of everything. So first he had to go to the Bishma'el, then he went to the Bishma'el in order to get the traditions, meaning what the Mishnayot say in order to get the conclusion. And then he went back 
<coughs> to Rabbi Akiva in order to get the logic. So Rabbi Meir's history was, he started with Rabbi Akiva, he went to Rabbi Ishmael, and then went back to study by Rabbi Akiva. Ela asla asla kasha. But we have a <coughs> question on who was Osir the Kankantum to Rabbi Meir. And the Gemara says, kasha. <coughs> the Gemara leaves that in a kasha. And we go further. Tanya, we have a brighter. Rabbi Uda Omer. Rabbi Uda says, Omer, <coughs> Rabbi Meir Ayomer. Rabbi Meir used to say, Lakol Matilim Kankantum Letoch Adiyo. You're allowed to add Kankantum into the Dio, Chutz Me Parashat Sota, except for the parashah sota, meaning when you're writing a sefer Torah, you could write the whole sefer Torah with Dio. That has kankantum, that is indelible. <clears throat> However, when it comes to the parasha of the sota in the Sefer Torah, you have to write it with regular ink. Because the bimi it holds, when you erase the parasha of sota into the waters, you're allowed to erase it from an actual Sefer Torah. It doesn't have to be written on a separate parchment. You can even erase it from the sefer. Therefore, it has to be written with erasable ink. Hence, without kankatum. But Rabbi Yaakov, Amar Mishim, but Rabbi Yaakov quotes Rabbi Meir by saying, Chutz parashat sota shebemigdash. Which means, except you cannot put kankatum in the ink, of the parashah sota that they write in the Mikdash. Meaning in the Mikdash, according to this opinion, they would write special parchments that had on it <coughs> parashat sota. And those parchments were erased into the waters. So that's what the Gemara is saying. That you could write the whole Sefer Torah even if you want with Kankantum. But the Megillot, those parchments that they would use for sota, must be written with regular ink. So the Gemara says, my benayu, what's the difference? Amar of Yirmiyah, The nafkamina between the two opinions of Rabbi Meir is, <coughs> are you allowed to erase the parashav sota from the Sefer Torah? According to the first opinion, you can erase it from the Sefer Torah, therefore you cannot put kankantum in that ink. According to the second shita, no, you cannot erase parashat sota from the sefer Torah. Therefore, even if you'd want to you write the sefer Torah with kankantum, even that parashat would be okay. Because you only erase parashat sota from separate migilot. Ika benai, that is the difference. Comes again and says, Vehani <coughs> tana'eh, those two tana'im, kihane tana'eh, are also uh, and the same Mahlokan as the following Tanaim, meaning we just learned the Mahlokan Tanaim, if you're allowed to erase Parashat Sota from the Sefer Torah or not. So we see another Mahlokan of Tanaim that say the same thing. Detanya, because <coughs> we have a Braita. En Megilata Keshera Lehashkot Pa Sota Aheret. The Gemara says, a Megillah that was written for one sota, and then for some reason was not used. For example, let's say after they read it, wrote it, <coughs> before she, before they erased it, she admitted that she was Tema'ah. Therefore, there's no reason to erase it anymore. So now you want to use that Megillah for another sota. For example, let's say they wrote the Megillah sota for the Hail, right? And before they erased it, she admitted that she's Tema'ah. Therefore, there's no need. So now they want to use it for Le'ah. They want to use it for another lady. So the Gebara says, En Megilata Keshera Lashkot Ba Sota Aheret. Now let's read that case in Nashi together. It's the last Nashi on the daf. En Megilata Keshera Sota Shenechteva Megilata. He wrote the Megilah specifically for her. The Amra Teme'ani. And then she said, I am Teme'a Uftura. Now she's Petura from drinking. And Megilah Ta Keshera Le Sota Acheret. Her Megilah is not Keshera for another Sota Alma. What do you learn from this opinion? Ketiva Lishma Ba'inan. That means the Megilah of the Sota must be written specifically for the lady that you're giving it to. And therefore this opinion must hold that you cannot erase Megillat Sota from the Sefer Torah. Because when you write a Sefer Torah, you're not writing it for a specific lady, you're just writing the Sefer Torah general. And from this rabbi that says that if you wrote a Sota for one lady, you can't use it for another, 
is mashma that the writing of the Megillah has to be specifically for the lady that you intend to give it to. Therefore, we can deduce that that opinion also will hold that you cannot erase it from the Torah, because the writing of the Torah's Megillah Tzota in the Sefer was not done for that specific lady. The other opinion says, Rabahai bar Yoshiyama Megillata Keshera Lashkod ba Sota Heret. He Allah. Even though you wrote it for one lady, she doesn't use it, you can give it to another lady. So obviously that opinion says you don't have to write the Megillah, Lishma, for the sake of uh, the lady that you're intending to give it to. You can even give it to a different lady. So therefore, who you didn't intend to write it for. Therefore, he'll hold that you could also erase it from the Sefer Torah. Even though when you wrote the Sefer you didn't have any of the ladies in mind. So that's also, you don't need Lishma. So this Mahlokit of... Can you use a Megillat Sota for a different lady that wasn't written for? Is also going to be the same Mahlokit. Can you erase it from the Sefer Torah or not? Kemara says, Amara Papa, no. Dilmalohi. Maybe the Mahlokot are not interdependent. I can say, <clears throat> The only reason why Tanakama said over there that you can't use one Megillah for another because since it was uh, this Megillah was discharged for the sake of Rahel, for example, so now you cannot discharge this Megillah for Leah, meaning it's two different people. But a Sefer Torah, it was written stam, it wasn't written for anybody specifically. Maybe you'll hold that you can erase from a Sefer Torah. Meaning, only in a case where you wrote for a specific lady, you cannot change to another lady. When you wrote for Rahel, you can't write for Le'ah. You can't use it for Le'ah, I should say. However, by a Sefer Torah, it's written stam. It's written for everybody. So it could be that opinion will hold you can erase from a Sefer Torah, because it's better than this case. Now the Gemara gives another reason why the Mahlokot, are not interdependent. Amar of Nachman Bari Yitzchak, Dilma Lohi. Again, maybe this Mahlouk is not interdependent. Why? Ad kan lo kamar rabi ahai bar yoshiyatam. Maybe the only reason why Rav Ahai Bar Yoshia said over there that if you wrote for one lady, you could give it to the other lady. Because at least the Megillah was written for a sota. True, it was written for this sota. Now you want to give it to another one, but the kavanah at the time of the writing was for a sota. Aval But by the sefer Torah, it's not written for a sota at all. It's written to be taught, meaning you're writing the law of the Torah because you have to write the law down to teach it to us. And therefore, could be you will not be allowed to erase it from the Torah. So therefore, the Gemara wants to say, because of these two Sevarot, could be the Mahlokot, are not interdependent. And therefore, true, yes, we have a Mahlokot, can you erase the Sotah, Perasha from the Sefer Torah, that is indeed a Mahlokot Tanaim. But this Mahlokot Tanaim of, does a, a Megillat Sotah have to be written Lishma, that already has no bearings on the Mahlokit of, can you erase it from the Sefer Torah? Because again, I can say that only in a case <coughs> where you wrote it for uh, Rahel, and then you want to use it for Le'ah, meaning a totally different person than you wrote it for, then it's no good. But the Sefer Torah maybe is kashert because why? You didn't have anybody in mind. Or I could tell you the other side. I could tell you the reason why uh, the other rabbi says that it is good, because bottom line, you wrote it Lashem Sota. True, for this lady, now you want to use it for that lady. But when you wrote it, it was Lashem Sota, that's why it's good. But a Sefer Torah that was not written for the Sota per se to drink, it was written Mitlamid, maybe he'll say that you cannot erase it. So therefore they're not interdependent. Gemara says, Velet le Ravahai Bar Yoshia. that said that it is permissible to write a Megillat Sota for one lady and then use it for another. He doesn't hold of the Mishnah. Had it not, that we learned in Masechet Gitin. Katav get legaresh itishto. A guy wrote a divorce paper get in order to divorce his wife. Now, in the divorce paper, it says his name and his wife's name and the place where they live. Now, what happened? Vinimlach, he changed his mind. He changed his mind. So now he has a get with his name in it, with his wife's name in it, and with uh, the name of the city in it. What is he going to do with the get? 
So he found somebody else that lives in his city. Ve'amad. Shimcha Kishmi. He says, your name is like my name. Ve'shem Ishtecha Kishem Ishti. And your wife's name is the same name as my wife. Can I use the get to divorce my wife? I'll just use the same get. Gemara says, Pasul Egareshbo. It's Pasul to use it. Why? Because since at the time of the writing it was written for one lady, you cannot use it for a different lady. That means a get needs to be written Lishma. It needs to be written for the sake of the person. So the same thing by Megilat Sota. How could you tell me if you wrote it for the hell, and then you could use it for a, a different lady? Because where do we know get from? We know get from the pasuk, it says, V'chatav la. And we learn from the word la, la lishma. It has to be written lishma. By sota, it also is written la, that you will make it. Implying la again, that it has to be made lishma. So how could you tell me that if you wrote it for the hell, you can give it for la? So the Gebarah says, Achiyashta, is it comparable? Hatam vechatav la. Over there by Yen it says vechatav la. Ketiv, it says, Ba'inan ketiva lishma. When you write the get, it has to be written lishma. Hacha ve'asala, it says you shall make the sota, meaning, Ketiv, Ketiv it says, Ba'inan asiya lishma. The asiya, the doing has to be lishma. What is the doing? Asiya dida mehikahi. The Asiyah of the Megillat Sotah is not the writing, it is the erasing. And therefore, the erasing has to be Lishma. What are you comparing? Get has to be written Lishma, because it says Vechatavla. But by a Megillat Sotah, it doesn't be written Lishma, it was written for one lady, you can use it for another lady, so long as the Asiyah is Lishma. And what is the Asiyah? The Asiyah is the erasing. So the Tosafot has a question. Tosafot says, if that's the case, so why can't you erase it from a Sefer Torah? Why is there an opinion that says you can't erase it from the Sefer Torah? Bottom line, if the main thing is that your Kabbalah is at the time of the erasing, so when you erase it from the Sefer Torah, you haven't Kabbalah for that lady. So Tosafot answers according to that opinion because it says, Vechatav et Ha'alot. It says, and you shall write all the different curses that will happen to this lady. So it says, Meaning, when you're writing these uh, curses down, they have to be written for the sake of Allah, for the sake of them actually happening. When you're writing in the Sefer Torah, they're just written for information purposes, informative purposes to teach us what the curses are. So from the fact that it says, when you write it, it has to be written where... It's actually going to happen when there's a sota in front of us where these curses are going to happen. So therefore, that opinion will say, even though you could erase it lishma, but since they were not written lishem alot, so therefore you have to use a separate megillah. Amar bar hanina. Gemara continues. Galui v'yadua lifnei mishamar olam. It is revealed in front of the one that created the world. She'en bedoro shil rabbi meir kemoto. That there was nobody as great as rabbi meir in his generation. So then why does not the halakha follow the bimi'ir? Because the Hakami could not really understand the depth of the wisdom of Rabbi Meir. He was able to show proofs why something that is really Tameh can be Tahor. Umar Elo Panin and he can show proofs to that, to that side. Al-Tahor Tameh, and he can show something that is Tahor, why it should be Tameh, Umar Elopanim. So therefore, Abimir had a great mind, he was able to bring Sevarot for every side. He could prove why the Tameh should be Tahor, and why the Tahor should be Tameh. And as she comes along and says on the fourth line, Lo So they couldn't understand which side is right, because both sides made so much sense. Which I misunderstood that to me, which is on every halakha he was able to give both sides of the spectrum and make it make sense. So it was very difficult for the Talmudim to understand exactly which side is the truth. Tana the Gemara says, Lord Bimi'ir Shemo. His name was not Rabimi'ir, Ela Rabbi Nehorai Shemo. His name is really Rabbi Nehorai. 
Shemo. Velama nekra Shemo Rebi Meir. So why did they call him Rebi Meir if his name was really Nehorai? Shaya Meir ene hachamim balachakus. He used to enlighten the eyes of the hachamim in halakha by giving them so much logic for each halakha. So they called him Meir. Meir comes from the word Or. So therefore they referred to him as Rebi Meir. Again, that's the way the Maharsha explains, from the fact that he gave them so much sevara on each side, even though they might not have been able to come to a conclusive halakha, because everything made so much sense, but he opened their eyes with all the different sevarot. In the Sefer Benayahu, they come along and say, why did he need to change his name? Because the, his original name, Nehorai, also comes from the word Or. So therefore, why change Nehorai to Meir when his original name also means Or? So he writes that Nehorai implies light for himself, whereas Meir implies light for others. Hamza Gemaran says, Velo Nehorai Shemo, there was another rabbi, this is the way somebody showed him learn, and we're going to take that this approach. There was another rabbi called Rav Nehorai. So the Gemara says, you should know, Lo Nehorai Shemo. That rabbi that was called Rav Nehorai, that wasn't his real name. Ela Rabbi Nehamya Shemo. His name was indeed Rabbi Nehamya. The Amri Rabbi Azar Min Arak. And some say it was Rabbi Azar Min Arak Shemo. So why did they call that rabbi Nehorai if his name was really Rabbi Nehamya or Rabbi Azar Min Arak? Shemanhir Aynei Hachamim Ba'alakha. Again, because he would enlighten the eyes of the Hachamim in Halakha. Comes the Gemara and continues... Amar Rabbi, Rabbi said, meaning Rabbeinu HaKadosh said, Hai demechadadna mechavrai, the reason why I am sharper in learning than my colleagues, dehazitel Rabbi Meir me'achore, because I saw Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir from behind, v'ilu hazite mekaneh, and if I would have seen him from front, I would have been even more sharper. Because the Pasuk says, That what? That your uh, eyes should see your rabbi. So if I was able to see the front of Rabbi Meir's face when he was giving the shiur, I would have been much greater. He says, but I'm greater than my friends because I had the advantage just to see Rabbi Meir even from behind. And as she explains that this was referring to in the shiur, Meaning the setup in the shiur was that the uh, students would sit around the rabbi, and the greater the talmid, so the better seat you had, you were able to sit in front to see the rabbi from front uh, position. However, the B was not from the best students in the shiur, so he sat from behind. But he says, I gained just from that as well. The Maharshal quotes Yerushalmi here, that says that the Rabbi actually only saw Rabbi Meir once. And the Yerushalmi tells the story that when Rabbi was uh, making a wedding for his son Rabbi Shimon, it says it was on Shabbat that they were making the Saudah, and they were clapping. When Rabbi Meir heard clapping coming from the house of Rabbi on Shabbat, can't clap on Shabbat. So he went in in order to tell them who is allowing to clap on Shabbat. In truth, they were clapping kelahariyat. They weren't clapping in the normal way, so it was mutar. In any event, when the bee heard that somebody came in in order to question what he's doing in his house, he went out to see him. The Bibi'ir heard that the bee is coming after to see who came to rebuke. So the Bibi'ir ran away. So the bee was uh, walking away to see who was came to say the halakha, and he only caught the Bibi'ir running out of the house, and he only saw his back. He saw the back of his neck. And that's what he says. That day when the Bimi'ir came to rebuke, and then he left because he didn't want to embarrass the bee. So the bee went out to see him, and he only caught the back of his neck. He says, and I became a better person because of it. Uh, I once heard that historically, we can explain this Gemara in a different sense. That if you look at the history Rabbi Meir died when Rabbi was still very young. And therefore, it doesn't seem that Rabbi could have been one of the, uh, one of the main students of Rabbi Meir. After all, Rabbi Meir was very old when Rabbi was young. 
And the explanation might be like this. He says, I was able to catch the tail end of the life of Rabbi Meir. Which means, I saw Rabbi Meir Ma'hurav. Which means I was able to catch him from behind. Jeez, I was able to have some years of my youth to see that generation. The generation of yesteryear. Of those great hachamim like the caliber of the Bimi'ir. And if I was able to see him from the front, meaning if I was able to be around when the Bimi'ir was young, then I would have been even much greater. So you see the advantage of enjoying the chokhmah of the rabbis of the previous generation. Even if you can only bask in their greatness for a small amount, still there is great value. He says, that's why I'm sharper than my friends because I caught the tail end of the life of Rabbi. In any event, the Gemara clearly over here says that there's an anyan when the rabbi is giving a shiur for the students to see the rabbi. And the Mephashim explained because not only of the chidushim that come out of his mouth, but through the gestures of the face and the hands, that also adds to the understanding of Torah. Talmid Meir. There was a certain student of Rabbi Meir. This Sumchus Shemo and his name was Sumchus. Shaya Omer al Kodabar Bedavar Shil Tumah on every halacha of Tumah. He would say Arbaim Ushmona Taamet Tumah. He would be able to explain forty-eight reasons why the item would be Tameh. Bal Kodabar Bedavar Shil Tahara and on every item that was. Tahor Arbaim Ushmona Ta'ameh Tahor I would be able to give 48 reasons why it was Tahor Tana We have another Tanaic statement Talmid Vati Kayabe There was a very very uh, zealous student in Yavne Shehaya Metaher et Tasheretz He was so smart he would able to give uh, reasons why a sheretz, which the Torah tells us is tameah, he was able to give reasons why the sheretz should be tahor. How many reasons? Which means, not that Hasbush Shalomi was saying that the sheretz is tahor, the Torah says it's tameah, but he was able to give 150 logical reasons and sevarot why from sevarah the sheretz should be tahor. That's how analytically sharp these talmidim were Ama Rabina Rabina says Ani Adun Vetarenu. So I can give you one Kalbahomer in order to make the Sheritz Tahor. How? Uma Nahashimimit. Just like we know a snake that always kills. A snake kills people, a snake kills animals. It is because of the snake. The snake promotes a lot of Tum'ah. Because you have a dead man, the man now is Tameh. And who caused that man to become Tameh? The snake that killed him. So the snake that goes and causes a lot of Tum'ah in the world, Tahor, but the snake itself is Tahor. Meaning when a snake dies, his carcass is not Tameh. So it's a Sheretz. She'en memit umar The Sheretzim that the Torah lists are not... Um, Lethal, which means they don't kill those shiratsim, and therefore they don't promote tumah because they don't kill local shekel. Although most of they themselves should not be tameh. If the snake that is involved in killing and bringing tumah to others, and still in itself is tahor when it dies, so a shiratz that is not involved in promoting tumah because they're not lethal, they don't kill. Although most when they die, they should not be. Tamir. So that's a Kalma Omer to learn that what a Sheret should be Tahor. But the Gemara says, Velahi. That's a flawed Kalma Omer. Why? The snake is just doing what a thorn does. Meaning, just like a thorn has the ability to prick somebody and kill them, but it's not that the thorn is bringing the Tum'ah. The Tum'ah comes on its own. The Tum'ah comes because of the dead person. It's not that the thorn brought the Tum'ah. And therefore, it's not that a snake promotes Tum'ah. Snake kills. And therefore, your Kavahomer was, if the snake promotes Tum'ah, no, it's not so. It's not Marbet Tum'ah. It's like a thorn that just damages. And therefore, your Kavahomer is not good. And therefore, of course, uh, the Sheretz is Tameh. Amar Amar Shemuel... There was an argument between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel for three years. One school said, Halakha follows us. And the other school said, No, the Halakha follows us. 
heavenly voice came out and said, Elu ve'elu Elohim hayim. And both the words of Betilel and Betshamai are the words of a living God, which means they are both true. However, but the halakha does follow Betilel. Now, this principle of Elu ve'elu develim hayim, how can we explain that both opinions can be right? So, the Ritba brings down, he says that this was asked by the Banit Sarfat, that how is it possible that you can have two things of Elohim Hayim? One says Asun and one says Mutar. So he explains that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shamayim to get the Torah, they showed him on every halakha 49 sides to say Mutar and 49 sides to say Asur. So Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Kadosh Baruch Hu, which side is right? So God said, that's up to Hakmei Yisrael to decide. So therefore, if Bet Shamayim said Asur, it was indeed an option <clears throat> to say Asur. If the halakha was not uh, but by them, that's because the rabbis have a, a, an ability to decide who the halakha is going to be like. But that opinion is valid because every halakha has 49 sides of Asur and 49 sides of Tara. Therefore, Elu, the Elu, Devre, Elohim, Hayim. So the Gemara asks on the first wide line, Vechi me'achar, She'elu, Ve'elu, Devre, Elohim, Hayim. If you're telling me indeed that what? That both sides are true, the, the word of a living God. So then why did Betelel get the zikhut that the halakha should follow them? After all, Bet Shammai's side is also right. So the Gemara says, Number one, the Gemara says they were nohin. Nohin literally means easygoing. Va'aluvin, that she says savlanim, which means they had a lot of patience. The Ben Yoyada explains these two behinot, which means they were nohin, meaning on an outwardly they were very calm people, which means they did not get nervous. Aluvin means even inside, which means they were very humble people that. Even inside, they did not burn up. Some people on the outside can, can keep their cool, but inside they're burning. So these rabbis of Hillel were Nohin and Alubin. Not only on the outside, but also on the inside. And the Bet Yosef writes, because of that, they were Anav. They were humble, so therefore they were able to arrive to the truth because of their humility. Furthermore, the Gemara says, Vayu Shonin Divrehem which means <coughs> when they would quote the argument they would quote both sides they would quote their side of course they would quote their colleague's side but they would uh, precede the opinion of Bet Shammai even before their opinion as we're going to see in the following story. Now as she explains, what does it mean, Bishonim Divrehem? They would learn their words, and they would learn the words of their colleagues. So that she gives us an example of how Betelel learned the words of their colleagues. A Mishnah that we studied in Masikat Berachot, that taught us, Bet Shammai said regarding Kiryat Shema, I'm quoting a Nashi now, Bet Shammai said regarding Kiryat Shema, Kiryat Shema of the evening, you have to say it lying down. Right? Because the Pasuk says, When you're lying down. And the Kiryat Shema of the morning, you say, when you're standing, because it says, Ubkumecha. Betulil says, no. The Kiryat Shema in the morning, in the, afternoon, in, the, in the evening, you could say it however you want. I, what do we do with the Pasuk of Bet Shammai? When it says, Ubkumecha, it doesn't mean how to say the Kiryat Shema, what position. It means when to say the Kiryat Shema. Meaning, Bizman Shechiba, at the time that people are going to sleep, meaning in the evening, and Bizman Kima, the time that the people are waking up. So you see that what? Betelel was very courteous. He didn't just discard Bet Shammai's opinion. He took the proof of Bet Shammai and he... Uh, took it seriously, and he said, no, the Pasuk is not coming to teach us that, it's coming to teach us something else. So that's what it means when it says, Vishonim divrehem They would interpret their words, and they would also interpret the Pesukim of their colleagues. And as we're going to see, they would uh, put their colleagues ahead of them. The Gemara gives a story, like we learned, Mi, in Masechet Sukkah, Mi Sukkah, the Gemara says, if a person was sitting, his head and the majority of his body in a sukkah, the shulchanot betoch and it was such a sukkah 
but his ha- his table was extended into the house. Bechamai posting. Bechamai says such a sukkah is basud. Ubetilel makshirin. And Betilel says it's kasher. Actually, Masechet Sukkah, Hakamim tell us that they were arguing on two types of Sukkot. On a Sukkah Gedolah and a Sukkah Ketanah. Sukkah Gedolah is a large Sukkah, but still the guy's table is in the house. Meaning he's sitting at the edge of his Sukkah, and his table goes into his house. Ben Shammai says the su- it's no good because we're concerned that the guy might get drawn into the house because he might go after his table. But he says, no, we don't make such a gizera. And they're also arguing on a Sukkah Ketanah, a small Sukkah that can only fit his head, the majority of his body, <coughs> so then already, Ben Shammai says, that's too small of a sukkah, the sukkah is pasul, that's Lashon Poslin, and Ben says, no, so long as the sukkah can fit his body, and the majority, of the, his head and the majority of his body, it is a sukkah, kishira. in any event, that was the mahlokit, Amru so Betelel tells Ben Shammai, regarding this argument, lo wasn't there a story, the elders of Ben Shammai, and the elders of Hillel, went lebakir, they went to visit them, Yohanan ben Ahoranit, um Sa'uhu, and they found them on Sukkot, Yoshev Rosho Virubo Basukah, They saw the rabbi sitting in the Sukkah, majority of his body, and his table was in the house. Um, and therefore, what do you see over here? From the fact that the uh, students of Bet Shammai were there, they saw the rabbi singing a sukkah that according to them was pasul, and they didn't tell him anything. So Bet was trying to say, you see over here, that the zikinim of Bet Shammai must have held, it's okay from the fact that they didn't tell them, Yohanan HaHodanit anything. Amru Lahin, Bet Shammai, so Bet Shammai reacts to this story that Bet told and says, Misham Raya, you bring me a proof over there that the rabbis didn't tell him anything? They did tell him. They told him, If that's the way you sit in the sukkah, if that's your custom, You never fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah in your life. But what do you see from here? We see from here that the way Betelil told the story, they told the story as follows. And we go back in Midayek. It says that there was a ma'asel, they put the Zikneh Bet Shammai before Zikneh Bet So you see they were humble. They put their colleagues before they put themselves. So that shows us the humility that they had. When they said, And then they said, The Gemara concludes, From here we learn the Lamedcha to teach us, Anybody that lowers himself in this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Magbiho Borei Olam HaKadosh Baruch Hu Elevates him Vechon HaMagbiyat Smo And anybody that elevates himself And goes after his holiness HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mashpilo HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lowers him Vechon HaMahazir Ala Gedula And anybody who runs after <coughs> Praise and greatness And um, and the Kavod Gedula Borachat Mimenu So the greatness runs away from him Anybody that shuns Gedolah runs away from uh, praise and prestige. Gedolah On the contrary, the Gedolah runs after him and chases him. And the Gemara continues. Anybody that literally pushes the hour, which means anybody that sees that he's not really successful in his uh, his uh, his pursuit to become famous and great, but he goes and he fights the he fights the hour, so he's pushing his hour even though it might be premature. So the Gabbana says, Sha the hour pushes him back. She says, the guy's trying, he says, now's my time, I'm gonna become wealthy. Ulitgadeli wants to become famous. But he's trying and trying and he sees he's not successful. So he still travels to far places. And he tries to put himself in high positions. So it says what? The hour will push him back because it is premature. But if a person humbles himself in front of the hour, if he sees he's not successful, and he says, you know what, I'll wait until another time to try again to rise to greatness, then then in eventual after time, the time will stand for meaning he will be successful. The Gemara concludes <coughs> with the following. 
Tanu Rabbanan, we have a Braita. There was a two and a half year argument between Bet Shema and Bet Halalu Omrim, one school said, Noah Lola Adam Shalon Nivra, Yotan Mishinibra. One school said, man would have been better off if he wasn't created, if he was never created, then if he was created. The other school says, no, man is better off that he's created than if he wouldn't have been created. So they took account and they concluded, after two and a half years, in truth, man would have been better off if he wasn't created, than if he was created. However, but now that he is created, he should check his ways. And some say he should make mishmush. <coughs> now what is the difference between pishmush and mishmush? So that she says, which means one should make introspection on the deeds that he did, meaning the sins that he did in the past, he must make confession on them. And mishmush on ma'asab means... When a mitzvah comes to him, he must make the proper calculation. Meaning, even though uh, the mitzvah might cause him, cost him money, let's say, or a loss. For example, if a person has to be Shomer Shabbat, that might cause him a temporary loss. That's called Hefsed Mitzvah. So he has to make the calculation of Hefsed Mitzvah, what he's losing now by doing the mitzvah, Keneged Sechara. But... Compare that to the reward that you're going to get in the Lama And the same thing is when it comes to make a sin, you have to make a calculation of schar avera. True, the avera might be rewarding, but you have to make the calculation of schar avera, the reward that you're going to get in the now for the sin, keneged, hefseda, based on what you're going to lose in the future as a result of it. So that's the way that she learns the concept of mishmush, meaning making that calculation at the time of the mitzvah and the time of the Furthermore, the Mithalshim uh, explain that this concept, Misila Isharim brings down, that Pishpush is on uh, the general deeds, meaning you have to analyze if what you're doing is correct or not. And Mishmush means on the good deeds that you're doing, you have to feel them, meaning to make sure that you're really doing them the proper way. Jesus, if a guy is going to pray, uh, so then he made a decision, that's Pishpush, he decides to pray, that's the good thing. But now in your prayer, you have to make Mishmush, you have to feel it to make sure that the prayer is being done with Kabbalah, and you're saying the Berachot, etc. Now, Tosafot clearly says, on this conclusion of the Gemara, that says, man would have been better off if he were not created, this is not talking about everybody. It's talking about Stam bin Adam. However, it's Sadiq. Fortunate that he was born and fortunate his generation. Now, what is this Mahlokan over here? Is man better off to be created or not? So, some explain that man is better off to be created because before we were created, we were in front of the Shekhinah and we were basking in the enjoyment of Shekhinah. However, since we did not earn it, so that reward is not complete. The Zohar calls that Nehamad Kisupa. It is the bread of shame, which means we're receiving reward for nothing. And therefore, if we weren't created, we would not have the ability to do the mitzvot, to earn our Lama Ba, and therefore have the true pleasure of earning our Sakhar. So that side says, he's better off that he's created, so he can earn his Lama Ba. The other side says, yeah, it's nice to have an earning for your reward. However, since there's 365 mitzvot, there are 365 uh, different ways that we can mess up and commit sin. Only 248 positive commandments. So he's more likely to sin than he is to do a mitzvah. And therefore, Noah, Lola, Adam, Shalom, Nevah. Better to suffer Nehamad Kisupa than Hadva Shalom transgress a sin. That's one way of explaining the Gemara. The Mikubalim over here have a different explanation of what does it mean, Noah, Lola, Adam, Shalom, Nevah. They say, Hadva Shalom, how could they even have such a debate? Were we better off to be created or not? If God created man, obviously we're better off to be created. So they say, we're not explaining the first time around. The first time around, God says, He saw the world, Kitov, the man is good. However, they're talking about in Gilgul, which means, is it beneficial for a man to come back, to be created, mean to be recreated, to come back a second time. And the Mephashim point out, that the reason why a person comes back a second time is to fix the sins that he did in the first uh, creation. And how does he know which sins? So the Mikubalim point out that a 
the biggest weakness of a person in his life, the hardest thing for him to overcome is the item that he probably came back to fix. So they're saying, is he better off coming back? Because many times people come back and they do not fix, and therefore it's much worse because they got a second chance. So therefore, the debate is, was he better off or not? But now that he does come back, everybody agrees, in order to find out what exactly one's tikkun is. Last but not least, the Hakamim tell us that this was a two and a half year argument. So, Rav uh, Chida brings down what's the significance of this two and a half year argument. So he says, we learned in Gemara Shabbat that La'atid Lavo Kadosh Baruch Hu comes to Yitzhak Abinu and says, your children have sinned. So, Yitzhak Abinu is going to say, well, let's figure it out. How long does a man live? He lives for 70 years. Well, the first 20 years you can't punish him because there's no Din Shamayim. So therefore, how many years you have left? 50. Well, 25 of those years you're sleeping, right? Because it's night time, so they can't sit at night. So all you have is what? 12, 25 years left. So uh, Yitzhak Abinu said, half on you and half on me, meaning you take care of 12 and a half God, and I'll pick up the other 12 and a half. Now that's only according to the calculation of a man that lives to 70. But the Pasuk says, that some people live to 80. So it comes out there is... Ten more years. Well, five of them were sleeping because it's night time. So there's five more years left. So therefore you have two and a half years for God to split and two and a half years for us. So therefore, those are the two and a half years that Bechamayin Betil had the argument and they were Nimnu Veganu that since these two and a half years they're in abeyance, which is nobody's around to Mechaper because Yitzhak Abin only took upon himself Twelve and a half years. These extra five years, if a person lives to eighty, there uh, nobody's around to mechaper, and therefore Noah, Lola Adam, Shalom, Better off he wouldn't have been created, because we can account for seventy years. That was the deal with Avraham. But the extra ten years, you split it to five, because we're sleeping half the time. That is two and a half each. Who's going to take care? So therefore, it says regarding the two and a half years, means they weren't arguing for two, two and a half years, which means when it says the mahluk was because of these two and a half years uh, that are in abeyance where there is no kapara. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.